0: Over the last number of years, since we've been in the economic slump, how many of us have resonated with those words? Ten cents up, two bucks down. Feeling like whether it's the balance in our checking your savings account or looking at the stock market fluctuating that, I mean, is that what we're left to? Is that what we're resigned to now? Hoping against hope that the tide will turn, hoping that someone somewhere, maybe in Washington will make a change that will make our lives better. Is the return of financial prosperity even possible for us as a nation? These are thoughts that we've been kicking around, have we not? So a number of months ago, Dave Ramsey, who is familiar to many of you, uh, launched what he called the, the Great Recovery. And his bold proclamation with the Great Recovery is, rather than waiting for someone in Washington Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. But rather than waiting for someone up there to change the economy, Ramsey's visionary statement was, the great recovery can actually start with you and with me. And he had the bold vision that if people like you and I, who come to church on Sunday, were to return to God's financial principles, that actually financial recovery could start with me, it could start with you, it could start with this church, and it could start with this city, and it could extend. And that we need not wait for some politician somewhere else to make the change, but in the words of the John Legend song from a couple years ago, why search for a leader when the leader is in fact me, when the leader is you? Change can start with us. And so as we look at this idea of the great recovery, specifically as it pertains to finances in our, in our talk today, uh, we're going to be exploring the fact that there are indeed two ways to live. There's a way of financial of, of organizing our financial life that leads to freedom, and there's a way of organizing our financial lives that does indeed lead to slavery. And I think it's relevant just on the front end to say, uh, and maybe this is the Dr. Phil question for all of us. You know, we've kind of abandoned God's idea of living with simp- simplicity and contentment and generosity. And take a look at the world in which we live with uh, situations in Europe and situations in Iceland and situations even in our own national economy and saying, How is it, how's that been working for you? You know, compl- uh, not paying attention to financial principles that God put in place thousands of years ago, kind of abandoning those and saying, God, we'll take it from here. How's that working for us? Is it leading, in fact, to more financial freedom for us? Or are we not, in fact, more and more in fi- uh, financially enslaved? So as we look at this idea today, uh, I, have no, I have no illusions that I'm going to make you necessarily happy today, because um, I have some, some news for some of you that's going to be really, really hard to hear, but uh, sometimes you've got to go through the hard stuff in order to get to the good stuff. And for some of you who are new to Warehouse or new to church, a lot of what we're going to be talking, today, talking about today is going to sound very foreign and, and frankly very un-American, and that's going to have to be okay. And if you're not uh, a Christian, if you're kind of exploring Christianity, just kind of take notes and see what you think. But if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, Jesus is going to have some pretty direct things to say to us, but things that he's going to say to us through his word that aren't meant for our our pain, but for our redemption and for our freedom. And so what I want to do on the front end is attack a very un-American idea that almost all of us, if not all of us in this room have, which is the idea that says, I can do what I want with my money. I can do what I want with my money. I worked hard for it. Went to school, put myself maybe through school, got my degrees, got a great job, worked hard to get in this job, working extra long hours in this job to get what I want and to get what I feel like I've earned. And so, how I spend my money is up to me, and what out? Well, what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible has to say about our lives and about money, and maybe the best way to start is just by going to one of my favorite psalms in this context, which is Psalm 24-1. And Psalm 24-1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So up against the notion that we as Americans have that we can do what what we want with our money, God says, huh, because I thought the earth was mine and everything in it. Another way to say it is there's nothing in the earth that doesn't belong to God. It's all his. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what about all the bad stuff? Does that belong to God, too? Well, remember that bad stuff is simply a corruption of the good, and that when God created things, he created them good. by our own sin and selfishness we're the ones who've corrupted things and we tend to over and over again take good things and make them into ultimate things in our lives but the earth is the lord's and everything in it. for some of you you get that and you've heard that but for some of you you might be saying well that's a little too nebulous or too abstract and need some more specifics all right so let's go to psalm 50 and god is saying all right when it comes to bringing sacrifices this is a couple thousand years ago when people brought sacrifices to the temple God's saying, this is, I, what I want is your heart here. I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I Love that phrase. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you if I were hungry, like if I needed to have a meal, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Even the birds and the insects, God knows those intimately. They're his. Let's get even more specific. A little tiny prophet in the Old Testament called Haggai has this gem of a verse, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. So, one thing that's obvious about this is that actually God is saying that the silver and the gold, they are actually mine. But think about in the context of a couple thousand years ago what this really means. Uh, nations and empires were, were could define their wealth not by euros and by dollars and by the currency that we have today, but it was by amassing hordes of silver and gold. Those were, the, those were the standard bearers of currency. So if you were going to be a nation and you declared how wealthy you were, how powerful you were, and you could amass an army and invade another country, it was because you had stockpiles of gold and silver, among other things. But also, And so for our co- context today, what God is saying is the money that you think belongs to you, no, that belongs to me too. Whether it's silver or gold or dollars or euros or whatever it is, that's mine too, God says. And furthermore, in our advanced 21st century technologically driven economy, consider also where gold and silver come from. They come from the belly of the earth. We mine those things. And the building that we live in, or that we're you know, in right now, we're being supported by stuff that's come, either the stone or the, the iron that produces the, the beams that support this structure, that's all coming from the belly of the earth as well. Our smartphones are powered from, from mines and ores that have been uh, gleaned from someplace probably in Africa. As sophisticated and as powerful as we make ourselves think that we are, we're totally dependent on the things that come from the belly of the earth. Even the clothes on our back, that's a seed that has to go into the earth and sprout forth that becomes cotton or becomes um, another fabric that we, uh, that, or wool from a little sheep. We're totally dependent on things totally outside of our control to make our lives happen. And God says, guess what? It's all mine. Nobody understood this better than King David, a man after God's own heart, who expanded all these ideas and then took them even further when he said this. Uh, He was about, he wanted to build a temple. God said, no, I want your son to build the temple. David, you raise all the money for the temple that'll be in Jerusalem. And David said, okay, I'll do it they amassed all this money, and they were going to build the temple. And before he did, David uh, blessed God and blessed the people and said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. If you've taken crown, small group, this verse will be very familiar to you. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over Everything power and might are in your hand and at your discretion people are made great and given strength and then he continues oh our god we thank you and praise your glorious name and david says but who am i and who are my people that we could give anything to you everything that we have has come from you and we give only what you gave what you first gave us we are here only for a moment Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. The money that's apparently, that apparently belongs to, our, to us doesn't. The car that we used to get here, that doesn't belong to us. That's a gift. The home, the condo, the townhouse, the apartment that we live in, that doesn't belong to us. The job that we've been entrusted, we didn't earn it. That's a gift of grace. Every morning I wake up to this particular psalm, Psalm 3 5, which says, um, I go down, I, I go to bed at night, and I wake up again because you, O oh Lord, sustain me. You sustain me. And in the realm of Christian theology, what we believe to be true about God is that God is both the, both the first cause and the sustaining cause. Meaning that the earth and the universe and all that's in it began, it originated because God created. God spoke and brought all of creation into existence. He is eternal and infinite. He's out t- outside of time and space and he's the first cause. He's the uncaused cause. He's the unmoved mover. He created everything and brought it into existence. But also, he sustains everything And he sustains life on this planet by the very power of of his word. He's the uh, the operating and sustaining cause of the universe and this planet. Why did we wake up today? Now, taking care of ourselves is incredibly important. Eating, Eating well and exercising and living wisely, of course, it's tremendously important. Living wisely is important. But why did you wake up today? And why did I wake up today? Because we earned it. Because in some preexistent life, we we raised this great credit balance that now we're cashing in? No, according to the Bible, you and I woke up today because God gave us this day as a gift. He sustains us. And while we do have a part to play in working hard and being industrious and going to school and getting good jobs and working very diligently, understand that what the Bible says is even those gifts of work that we have are gifts of grace. The hands and the bodies that we have belong to the Lord. He's entrusted these things to us and he says, yes, use them wisely but never forget for a moment that they're, they're, they are gifts that I'm freely giving to you. Make no mistake about it, we will live enslaved to ourself and we will live enslaved to our culture if we believe that at the end of the day it's up to us if we abandon God and say that really, at the end of the day, we've got to cut out our existence and we've got to make it happen because it's up to us and it's our life to live, we're fools. And God said, please don't live that way because it'll enslave you. So before we transition, it's worth asking the question, if God, over and over again, in his word, and these are all verses from the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus read, if, the, if this is the theme, and I just gleaned a couple verses from the Old Testament, if this is the, continue, uh, the consistent teaching of the Old Testament, that it's all a gift of God's loving grace to us, that money, our lives are a gift of grace, do we, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, do we submit to the authority of God's word in our life? And do we really believe him? Or do we get, frankly, annoyed and angry at God when he starts pushing, pushing into our lives like that? How dare you say that, God? Or do we receive those things? Make no mistake about it, our culture will continually challenge us and it will continually tempt us to disregard this. But know that Jesus himself was tempted. And over and over again, what Jesus did in response to the temptation that he received is over and over again, when the devil tempted him, he said, it is written, and then he quoted from the Old Testament. Because Jesus submitted to the authority of the Bible in his life. His desire was to love his Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he submitted to the words of Scripture. Do we have the same courage to do that? And ask ourselves the question, maybe, just maybe, does God have something wonderful in store for us? by abandoning our culture's approach to finance and embracing God's approach to our life and our money, the money that we've been given as stewards. But wait, there's more. It's Earth Day, and as I was thinking about this talk on Earth Day 2012, There's a particular image that the Bible gives about financial, about just freedom in general. And it's not a particular parable that has anything specific to do with finances, but in a sense it has everything to do with finances, because finances are one of the most important things that intersect with our lives. And there's a beautiful story that that Jesus tells about what a life of freedom and flourishing can look like. And so on a day where we're thinking about the planet, perhaps in new ways, and on a day when millions of trees will be planted throughout the world, God gives us an interesting story about a tree, and it's in Matthew chapter 13, and it's called the parable of the mustard seed. And Jesus told them another parable, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch on its branches. The competition for the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of me. And God is saying, your life and my life in the kingdom of heaven can flourish so abundantly and so beautifully that it can look like a mustard tree. So beautiful that it provides shade to life around it. And in a very sweet and profound way, God is saying, yes, I even care about things that you may think about as silly. And even birds can perch in its branches. And our lives can be a blessing like that if we choose to live in God's kingdom. But now understand there's something fascinating that happens uh, in this idea of a tree becoming a flourishing tree. And many of you in this community are expert gardeners, and you know this very well. There's a strange scientific reality that happens when you put a little seed in a, And a mustard seed isn't very big at all. It's a little bit bigger than a poppy seed. It kind of looks like a rye seed. When you put that seed into the ground, it has to go into the belly of the earth, you know, and you cover it up. And something strange and wonderful happens, and frankly, fairly counterintuitive, that when that seed goes into the earth, it has to die. And when it dies, God, in the way that he orchestrated the universe, brings about resurrection in that seed. And over time, that seed pops through the earth. And given the right time and conditions, even though it will be confronted with pests and heat and storms over time, that little teeny tiny seed going through a resurrection can grow up into a mustard tree over 10 feet tall that provides a beautiful, expansive life for those around it. Jesus used this example over and over again of seeds going into the earth and dying because that's exactly what Jesus himself did he came and he went into the belly of the earth and died he was dead and 3 days later resurrected to new life and 2000 years later we're in a church in Charlotte North Carolina on Sunday talking about the life and teaching of Jesus whose life flourished so beautifully that in the lives of many of us it's made all the difference So though the parable has nothing to do in particular with finances, it has to do with all of our lives, and finances are just one area. And I believe what Jesus is asking each and every one of us to do is say, are you willing to take your idea and your notions of finances and put them in the ground and let them die? Are you willing to take the very American idea that it's your money and you can do whatever you want with your money? Are you willing to take that idea, Jesus asks, I believe, and take that and put it in the ground and let it die? And say, Jesus, breathe new life into me and bring resurrection into my life and show me what real financial freedom and flourishing looks like. One of the things that I believe Jesus calls us all to in the area of our financial lives and in the area of financial flourishing is a heart of generosity. Because if we seek to walk in the footsteps of Jesus we have to understand what generosity means. Because God, in his very core, gave. When it came to our redemption, when it came to our salvation, God in heaven didn't look around at all the angels and said, it's a mess down there. Anyone? Do I have any volunteers? Anyone want to go? No. God didn't give us his leftovers. He gave us, he gave us himself. And at infinite cost to himself, he came down and purchased our redemption with his life and death and resurrection. And God himself demonstrates generosity and says, Guess what? Because I'm generous at my core, you get to be generous too. Because that's where real freedom is, and that's where real life is by living lives of generosity. I created all this anyway, God says. Economics, finances, money, life, breath, they're all gifts. I created them. Don't you think I kind of know how this works best? And throughout the years, what Christians have done is they've practiced a, a discipline called tithing, which is a demonstration of financial generosity. And tithing is simply this. It's taking the first fruits of our income and giving it right back to God. It's taking a tenth of our income and giving it right back to God. Not the leftovers, not what's left over after we've done all that we want to do with our money during the course of the month, but when that paycheck comes in, because it's all a gift of God, saying, God, it all belongs to you anyway, so at the very least, I'm going to give 10% right back. And then throughout the course of the month, that's my tithe. That's my, that's my spiritual discipline of tithing. And then throughout the course of the month, as I'm confronted with other opportunities to bless other people, to bless people in the community, to bless people overseas, to bless missions organizations or organizations that are helping bring about compassion and love, I'll give above and beyond. Because, God, I'm not looking to give uh, just the minimum. But I want to explore what a life of generosity looks like because that's where real freedom is. And so for Amy and me, what we do is when that paycheck comes, the first thing that we do, and this is why we believe in online giving, the very first thing that comes out of our checking account is the money that comes right back to the church. Because frankly, we don't trust ourselves. I don't, (laughs) and I don't trust me either. Because we have enough of a checkered financial history, the two of us, to know that if it's up to us to spend money, we do a pretty lousy job at it. So we need to to put structures in place in our life to make things automatic and to remind ourselves of the basic disciplines of generosity. So that's why we've been giving automatically because we do not trust ourselves to write that check and to bring it to church because we'll forget. And if it comes to the end of the month, maybe we'll skimp. And I had to look at this just this last week and look and say, how much actually are we doing every month? And I said, you know what, We're, we're doing... It's inconveniencing us, but we we can do more. Because one of the principles of generosity is if it doesn't pinch us, if it doesn't inconvenience us in some way, uh, it's not enough. Because God is giving us the courage to say, will you live a life of faith and will you trust that if in fact it all belongs to me anyway? That if you give generously, live wisely and and give wisely, but give in such a way that it's actually going to cost you something, do you have the faith to believe that I'll multiply that and I'll redeem it in your lives in in ways that will surprise you? And that's why Christians throughout the centuries have tithed and why they give above and beyond their tithe in ways that are sacrificial and generous. Now, I know for some of you, when you think about the idea of giving 10% of the income that comes in, for some of you, that is monumental, and it is daunting. And God, I think, is asking you today, will you trust me with that? For some of you, 10% is, that's enough. 10% isn't the fixed amount. It's a baseline, and it's a challenge, and it's a way of God saying, will you trust me? Because when we put disciplines in our life that remind ourselves that it's all God's, our life is a gift, and we get to be generous, God does something to us. And that seed goes down and it dies, and it begins to flourish over time. Now, we have some very practical ways that you can explore this. So if you go To our website at the end of the day, or if you go to our Facebook, we'll have some links where you can kind of take these concepts further, because for some of you you'll need to do some more homework as to what exactly this looks like. What I want to do is just close us, close us with just some reminders that we have a choice when it comes to recovery in our own life. We can choose to be free or we can choose to be slaves. And the question for me and the question for you, if you follow Jesus, is are you and I willing to submit our lives to God's word? Do we trust him? And do we trust that he's good? Because if we do, it'll be inconvenient. It'll be hard. But God will indeed redeem that. And if you're just exploring Christianity, if you're just exploring the Bible, hear us say that these are the types of things that we're going to be challenging ourselves as a Christian community with. Because we want to be the type of church that is a flourishing blessing to the city and to the world around us. That's our desire. It is possible to be financially free and not simply just to get by. What do you want? Freedom? The great recovery starts with you. It starts with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in ways that only you can, you have ways of confronting uh, the dominant thoughts and, and beliefs of our culture, and you do it in ways that are loving and gracious. And you're very patient with us as we stumble and trip along, and you're very patient with our nation as we try to go at our own and try to figure it out all by ourselves. I pray for me, and I pray for us, that as a community, we would have the humility to say, God, what do you have to say about life and finances and money and freedom? And how do we live our lives more and more in alignment with you? It will cost us something, and it'll be hard, but yet you promise life and freedom. And I pray that we would have the faith to believe that your plans and purposes in our life are good. What an honor to know that we are blessed, that we can be a blessing to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So next announcement is, and Liz, I'm sorry, I forgot what the next announcement is. What is our next announcement? There it is. Um, I, when I talk about financial generosity and when we do that in the context of Warehouse... We are keenly aware that some of you have a deep desire to be financially generous and you are just saying, I don't know how because I'm drowning right now. Either in debt or I don't have a plan or I don't, you're talking in generalities and I need specifics. Well, this slide is a placeholder that Financial Peace University is returning and it will be coming, Trevor, in June. Is that right? And just keep in mind, you'll be hearing more details about this in the weeks and months ahead. Amy and I have gone through this uh, curriculum personally. I see a number of familiar Financial Peace University friends and faces around here as well. If you are looking for practical action steps about finding ways to actually pursue financial freedom in in detailed practical steps, Financial Peace University comes with my strongest recommendation. We have an emergency fund, and we're going to need to draw from that emergency fund because our cars are acting up, and they just because that's what cars do, right? Uh, our, our emergency fund is what it is because of Financial Peace University and the freedom that we have to live financially is so influenced by Dave Ramsey's material that I cannot uh, recommend something more highly to you. So know that it's coming. You'll be hearing more details about that. In the meantime, check out our Facebook page later today and we'll have some uh, links to Ramsey's material and some also some good complimentary material where you don't have to wait for the class. You can get going on some baby steps Right now, and if you don't know what a baby step is, check out our Facebook page later this afternoon, and you'll find out more about that. Our last couple announcements for you: you know, if we can, uh, we'll have all these informa- all these slides and all this uh, information rather on our skinny page. Uh, so click that on the website afterwards. Um, if you if we can get you more detailed information, and if we can pray for you about anything at all, head around this mural uh, around this corner, and there'll be some folks ready to pray for you. So with that, why don't you rise, and we'll conclude with our benediction. final word. I know that a lot of you are afraid because when we talk about financial generosity and when God is kind of poking in on things like savings accounts and checking checking accounts and monthly budgets and monthly expenditures, I know there's a lot of fear that comes with that because if we start to become more genero- generous What will happen about next month? What if we can't afford this and this? And we start playing all the movies in our mind about what's going to happen. And there's lots of fear attached to money. I know that. And I just want to say it's okay to be afraid. And you ought to be afraid at some level. But know that what Jesus says in the midst of that fear is his perfect love will cast that fear out. He'll drive it out. He has come to give you life in all its fullness. And he can give you freedom. So now, live lives of simple faith. A generation that um, loves the world and that desires to have our heart break for what breaks God's heart. May that be true of us. So now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you today and this week. Go in peace.